Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to SEAC Stories, brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. This podcast tells the stories of our members. I'm your host, Natalie Pearson. Inequality has always been key to understanding Indonesia's development. But this is a multi-dimensional issue and one that has manifested in vastly different ways in Indonesia over the years. From low and stable inequality, to the aspiration to inequality, to the relationship between inequality and collective violence. As today's guest argues, the way we understand inequality is contingent on what objects of inequality we are looking at, how inequality is conceptualised and how it is measured. To talk us through these issues, I'm joined today on the SEAC Stories podcast by Zulfan Tajuddin, Associate Professor in Development Studies at Western Sydney University. Inequality has been central to Zulfan's research on political economy of development. He has published two books, both by Palgrave Macmillan, one on collective violence in contemporary Indonesia and the second on employment and reindustrialization in post-Sahato Indonesia. Zulfan has had visiting research appointments at the University of Oxford and at the Institute of Social Studies in The Hague and was also a technical advisor on decentralisation and conflict at the United Nations Development Programme Indonesia. His articles have appeared in leading academic journals, including the Journal of Development Studies, Oxford Development Studies, the Journal of East Asian Studies, the Journal of Peace Research, and Journal of International Development. Last but certainly not least, Zulfan is co-convener of this year's Indonesia Council Open Conference, as part of which he is disciplinary champion for social and economic development. The conference will be held in Sydney in September 2023. Zulfan, welcome to the SEAC Stories podcast. Thank you, Nathalie. Thank you for having me. It's a delight to have you here. So let's talk about inequality, such a really interesting subject when it comes to Indonesia. Can you begin by defining inequality? What is it? In simple term, probably we can just say inequality is the gap between rich and poor, but inequality will start from differences, any kind of differences, and then that will span from small to very large. So are we talking about differences of income, differences of means, differences of capacity? Conceptually, that will include those, but the discussions on inequality has been very much preoccupied with the income dimensions. Let's say we call it economic inequality. But inequality is about power, it's about social dimensions of human's life, like education, health. So that can cover many aspects of human's life. But yes, economic inequality is probably the most dominant one. So economic inequality is the one most people would be familiar with. You say that inequality can be vertical and horizontal. What do you mean by this? Yeah, vertical means this is probably the most common measures of economic inequality. Basically, we are looking at incomes of each and everyone in the society without differentiating who they are. So this is income, inequality of income of each and everyone in the society without differentiating who they are. So that's what we call vertical inequality. Horizontal is basically the same object that we are looking at, say, income, but we are differentiating the inequality not 
across everyone, but we are looking at between culturally different groups. Say, for example, income gaps or income inequality between ethnic groups, between religious groups, or between racial groups. So by bringing horizontal into the picture, the political and social implications will be a lot different. It seems to me that patterns of inequality in Indonesia and the way these patterns have shifted tend to mirror major political developments. So thinking about the new order period, for example, Indonesia was considered to have low and stable inequality in the peak of the new order from the 1970s to the 1990s. And when combined with long-term high growth, this low and stable inequality was a key ingredient in the decision to include Indonesia by the World Bank into the elite league of East Asian miracles in the 1990s. Was this low and stable inequality a miracle? And how did Indonesia achieve this miracle? Yeah, it was a miracle because of the combinations. If you achieve just high growth over a period of long term, that is not sufficient. It has to be combined with low and stable inequality. Those two indicators suit Indonesia in line with what was achieved by other miracle economies in the 70s, 80s, and early 90s. So that's why uh, Indonesia was part of the elite group of East Asian miracle, of East Asian economies. So the ingredient that will have to be attributed to the success of economic development and social development during the new order, who maintain uh, political stability, dynamic and high growth, and at the same time, maintain low and relatively stable movement of inequality during the two decades of the peak of the new order. So that's one that characterizes the new order. But we can see clearly what happened after the end of the new order and the Indonesia move into the democratic Indonesia. The trend has been shifted significantly with regard to inequality where we have seen a significant increase in inequality after the democratization. So let's talk about that now, moving to the early period of Indonesia's democratic transition. And you draw our attention to what you call the aspiration to inequality in resource-rich regions in Indonesia, for example, Aceh, Riau, East Kalimantan and Papua. And in these Resource-rich regions, we see abundant resources but relatively deprived populations. And this has been hypothesised as one of the driving forces behind successionist aspiration in these regions. So what effect did these aspirations to inequality have on Indonesia's decentralisation? Okay, this is actually quite irony. On the one hand, the maintaining relative equality of during the New Order's development was a success and it was carefully planned in the 70s to achieve more equitable development. That's one hand of the equations that we can see from the human development indicators. So if we look at Indonesia in late 90s, toward the end of the New Order, we will find there is not much different between regions in terms of what is called community welfare. 
the human development achievement. If you look at educations, health, even consumptions, there will be not much different between regions in Indonesia. But at the same time, we have to admit that the nature of resource endowment distributed across provinces in Indonesia are not equal. We know that there are few resource-rich regions in Indonesia, notably Aceh, Riau, Kalimantan, and Papua. So the idea of aspirations of inequality, that notions that we introduced was there are disconnects between the nature of income per capita that hugely skewed because of the different resource endowment in those few rich regions compared to the nature of how equal was the human and social development indicators. So the, the logic that we tried to develop at the time was, look, if our region has been so rich, why the level of community welfare is not that significantly different from those resource-poor regions? So that's the idea of aspirations to inequality. So people in those resource-rich regions, we can call it they are the regions are rich, but their people are not so rich. So if you compare in the relative term between the level of community welfare vis-a-vis how rich those regions were, so they are going to be relatively deprived. So that's why the aspirations of inequality is about the feeling of relative deprivations. So that has been actually the driving force of secessionist movement, the driving force of the call for or the response by the central government in Indonesia back in 1999 by the President Habibie administrations to launch the centralization program soon after the country was democratized. So that's basically the logic that we try to develop. Of course, if we are talking about secessionist aspirations, there would be many factors that drive that kind of uh, sentiment or aspirations. But among those factors, the aspirations to inequality could be one important political economy dimensions that we can identify. Yes, I think that's a really good point, that there are many factors behind these successionist movements and they might be different factors in different regions, but inequality is a key consideration for all of them. Exactly. Now, we sort of jumped over the Asian financial crisis of 1997. I just want to come back to it briefly because it really put the notion of low and stable inequality into question. This political stability was gone and Suharto fell from power in 1998 with implications for inequality. You say that it pointed to the multidimensional nature of inequality. So what do you mean by that? What, what are the multidimensions of inequality? One dimension that we can consider or different dimensions that we can consider is what the object of inequality that we, are, we want to look at. So on this one, there are three levels. One is consumptions, and then higher than consumptions, you have income where people draw their consumptions. And the accumulations of their income, the remaining of the income over time will develop what is called asset or wealth. So 
Inequality could be about consumption, something that has been dominated the measures of inequality in Indonesia so far. And higher than that, we need to look at income. And income inequality, in general, tend to be higher than consumption inequality. And on top of income, we have wealth. So if we look at wealth inequality, that will be also much more higher than income inequality. So we have three layers here. That's about the object. And when we look at the, the way we, we measure inequality, say, for example, if we want to look at Gini index, Gini index will, cons- will look at the overall distributions of income. If you want to look at just concentrations of income or wealth at the top, that way of uh, treating inequality will give us probably different picture. And the way the trend of inequality will be shown, that could be different. So different dimensions means the previous understanding of low and stable, when we shift the dimensions and the way we look at it, the conclusions could be different. Say, for example, why the notions of low and stable inequality was later on questions because people were shocked. Why, uh, if economy was was okay, growth was high and was uh, equally distributed, low and stable inequality, why suddenly Indonesia witnessed the social resentment across the country, uh, secessionism, the demand for uh, democratizations. So there must be something inside them. So the general literature always point to inequality as a preconditions for huge crisis. So according to the literature, before the global financial crisis, for example, in 2007, 2008, or before the Great Depressions of the 1930s before, it was the period preceded by rising inequality in the U.S. Based on that kind of wider literature, that's why the notions of law and stable inequality are put into questions. And actually, the literature later on, after the year of 2000, up to 2010, we'll find out literature that point to, if we look at, say, for example, asset concentrations of the top wealthiest families in Indonesia, and the level of inequality in Indonesia, even in late 90s, it was among the highest in East Asia compared to Malaysia, compared to Thailand, compared to the Philippines, even compared to South Korea. So that's about asset concentrations. And another dimension is to look at what is called functional income inequality. This is about the share of income enjoyed by the capital and share of income enjoyed by the labor as the two key components of making the national economy. What happened, data on Indonesia says that the level, the share of capital share of income is about more than 70%. Only the, uh, the remaining 30% was enjoyed by the labor who, who formed the majority of the populations. So from that, and there is no uh, sign of declining proportions of capital during the new order, according to one publications. So from that perspective, 
we should be able to to understand that there are different dimensions of inequality and the notions of low inequality is put into questions when we put different dimensions into the the topic. I think that is a great explanation of just how multidimensional inequality is. Even if we're only talking about economic inequality, there's obviously many, many things to consider within that context. Can you tell us how inequality informs collective violence in contemporary Indonesia? This is something I mentioned in my introduction, and and you say that inequality, both vertical and horizontal, has informed collective violence. Can you give us some examples? Yeah, in general... Of course, this kind of research only coming out later on after all the major episodes of collective violence in Indonesia happened. Because later on, meaning that data becoming more available and a kind of more systematic quantitative analysis can be performed. So based on those research, we can, we can conclude that strong evidence saying that higher inequality correlates with the incidence of collective violence. So in Indonesia, the empirical evidence has been on time series and cross-sections data across districts or across province in Indonesia and across time periods. So the evidence from the empirical studies point to the positive correlations between the level of economic inequality both in the forms of vertical as well as the horizontal one. From that perspective, we need also to disaggregate the different forms or different category of collective violence. Say, for example, one big portion of the collective violence is called ethnic violence. And then we can also separate the more general dimensions of violence which are not related to the ethnicity or religion, non-ethnic, non-secessionist collective violence. This is collective violence that is called routine, general resentment in the society that manifested violently. So in that routine nature of collective violence, we find the evidence of increasing effect of vertical inequality as well as horizontal inequality. But for the ethnic violence, the role of horizontal inequality or inequality between culturally defined groups, between ethnic and religions, that will be more powerful rather than the vertical inequality. So that's empirical evidence that we can can say so far. So what are we seeing this century in Indonesia? I think in the first decade of the century in particular, we've started to see inequality rising again. What explains this? Yeah, actually, if we look at the long-term data on inequality in Indonesia, say between 1970s up to now in the second decade of this century, the first decade of this new century has recorded the highest, the fastest increase in inequality in Indonesia worldwide. So if we look at the global database of inequality, and then between 2001 till 2011, 2012, so the increase in inequality in Indonesia has been the fastest. So, of course, inequality is also a phenomena that will be influenced by many factors. 
something like everything under the sun will will affect inequality. But if we want to look at what are the factors, so probably from the structural point of view, and this is also the general trend happening around the world, I think the main driving force of rising inequality is the divergence of between wage and productivity. This is about the divergence of the share of income enjoyed by the labor vis-a-vis the share of income enjoyed by the owner of the capital. So we are going back to the basic structure of how the economic pie was created. It was because of the two factors, capital and labor. So the diverging trend between productivity growth and wage growth. This is actually a global phenomenon happening in the most of developed countries and in the developing countries. So Indonesia is just following that pattern. And that divergence has been significantly very clear if we look at the trend between during the first decade of this century. So that's, I believe, from the structural point of view, that's one key factor. Other factors could be I don't know, probably because of the democratizations and decentralizations mixed up with the more movement to the market economy. So when the combinations of market economy and democratizations and power is, uh, is more, much more contested rather than much more controlled, then you have the, a more open field of competitions. So that's one another dimensions. And on this one, probably it is worth to mention the hypothesis put forward by Jeffrey Winters to differentiate the nature of the behavior of the wealthy before and after decentralizations. During Suharto, according to Jeffrey Winters, the, the rich people or the oligarch was trained by Suharto. They have to follow Suharto. When the departure of Suharto, the behavior of the super-rich, they have been untamed. No power that can control them. In fact, they have been entering the economic and political arena to play in the economic sphere as well as the political sphere. So that's probably another factor. Another factor that could be mentioned also is the period of resource boom happening exactly during the first decade of this century worldwide. So Indonesia enjoyed very much that resource boom. And then if we put the trend of the increase in the commodity prices and the increase in inequality in Indonesia, you will see a very nice match between the two. Where is all this going? So for, like looking forward, do we expect to see a continuation of the rising inequality and wealth concentration that is occurring in Indonesia? And, and what are the implications of this? On this one, I would like to draw your attention to very interesting inconsistencies. So the peak of inequality in Indonesia was during 2011, 12, 13, 14. So it was mentioned that the peak of Gini index of consumption expenditure in Indonesia was around 0.41. And what happened after that? The Gini index continued to decline slightly after 2014. So meaning that... Yes, Indonesia inequality has been rising very sharply during the first decade of this century, but toward the end of the second decade of this century, inequality start to decline, albeit very slowly. So we meaning that we look at based on the Gini index, inequality has been declining since 2014. 
But if we look at the another measures of inequality, when we look at the what is called wealth concentrations that has been widely used worldwide also. So based on look at the total wealth of the 50 or 40 richest Indonesian, for example. So if you look at that indicator, we calculate the share of the total wealth of the top 40 richest Indonesians relative to the size of the economy, the GDP, the wealth concentrations has been increasing during the second decade of this century. So this is the inconsistency. When you look at the income distributions of the whole populations, you look at the slow decline of inequality. But when you look at the wealth concentrations at the top, you will see increase in inequality. So that's why discussing inequality, we have to be really careful about the object, about the concept that we are using and the way we measure that one. So going back to the questions about wealth concentrations, what we are going to see in the future. What we have seen for the past 10 years, there has been increasing wealth concentrations. My prediction is we are going to see that one continue in the future. And this is actually following the global trend. And increasing wealth concentrations at the top is not good for, from social and political perspective, I believe. I am aware of the times often probably need to wrap up. So I just wanted to ask you one last question, and it's kind of a big one. What is the relationship between inequality and democracy? Yeah, initially, people will, would expect that inequality will decline with democracy because democracy is the demand for power redistributions and power redistributions will imply for economic redistributions. So initially, inequality is expected to decline with democracy. But what has been happening around the world and history has told us that it might not be the case for different reasons. And what happened was, even in the developed and mature democracy, democracy has been thriving, but at the same time, inequality has been rising. So actually, democracy has been used as the battle for the rich to exercise their political influence using their economic power. So that's why we have seen that the rise of the super-rich and the way the super-rich actually influence the political outcome, even in the developed and mature democracies. So from that perspective, higher inequality is actually harm democracy. Higher inequality undermines democracy. So that has been happening worldwide. And Indonesia will not be the exceptions. So inequality is the battle for the rich to accumulate their wealth. and But at the same time, Democracy also is the battle for the whole populations, the middle class, to use democracy as going back to the very basic nature of democracy as the means, the political means of redistributions. So this is a very complex. This is very complex, but one of the conclusions that has been strongly advocated for the past decade or so, that higher inequality is bad for democracy. A really interesting point on which to end, Zulfan, and thank you so much for taking the time to share your research with us. It was a real pleasure to learn more about what you're working on, and I really look forward to the Indonesia Council Open Conference with you, co-convened by Sydney Southeast Asia Centre and Western Sydney University in September in Sydney. And thank you so much for joining us on the SEAC Stories podcast. You've been listening to SEAC Stories. Brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. 
Make sure to keep up with all our CX Stories podcasts by following us on your favorite podcasting app. If you like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Every positive review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, let your friends know about us on social media.